Global Sport Matters presents, in collaboration with Columbia University Sports Management, the Sports Professors Podcast, where Professors Kenneth Shropshire and Scott Rosner discuss the 101 on what happened in sports business. Hello, and welcome to the Sports Professors Podcast. I'm Scott Rosner, the Program Director and Professor at the Columbia University School of Professional Studies, where I lead the Sports Management Program, along with Ken Shropshire the CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. We're longtime former colleagues. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, doing great. I'm, uh, you know, that's not true. <laughs> it's the day. Yeah, we, we've had, we've had some weather. Ken, Ken although you are based in Arizona, professor at Arizona State University. Uh, you're a professor emeritus at the Wharton School in Philadelphia, uh, my hometown. Uh, and uh, some some tough some tough dealings this past week. Yeah, the the river that nobody knows about the Schuylkill River floods. I mean, it, it was a five hundred year event, not hundred year, five hundred year event. So a lot of flooding took place, and and uh, a lot of us living by the river are digging out today. You know, the day after, but but all's good. All's good. We certainly didn't have the kind of damage and. You know, unfortunate loss of life that a lot of people did up and down the coast and down in Louisiana. But yeah, this is our, our version, the northern version of, of Hurricane Ida. Yeah, uh, and I grew up about uh, 100 yards up from that river, uh, up the hill from that river. And so, uh, you know, I feel for my former neighbors, that was my, my, the house I grew up in, um, and tough. I mean, things that you couldn't imagine seeing uh, in places where water, you know, you couldn't imagine water ever getting that high yeah, um, yeah. that it, that it, that it got to. So um, yeah. certainly our thoughts are, are with them for sure. We could do the uh, uh, architectural geography history show too, about why the uh, founders of Philadelphia did not build directly on the river, did not build residences. And, and they were very careful about this idea. That this river may expand or, or naturally expands sometimes, maybe once in 500 years. So there's a lot of construction now that wasn't here uh, during the, the last big event, you know, which was about 100 years ago. So that, that's why there's that kind of problem. And as I understand it, and you think about it in, in the heart of, you know, what, what happens in New Orleans all the time, the way that city's where, where it should not have been built, a lot of people say. Uh, is part of the problem and why these things happen. But, but uh, as you said, as I said, you know, we will persevere. We're, we're, the, we're the fortunate ones to get through this and be here today. There is no question about that. So a lot's been going on in the sports world while uh, the effects of climate change seem to be rearing, uh, rearing themselves and impacting uh, our lives um, and many others. Uh, what's caught you in in the world of sports and the business side over the last uh, week? You know what? There are a lot of little things, and, and then there, there's one that I've been watching in, in particular. Besides the one that you know, I know you and I want to talk about at length, it's Bishop Sycamore High School versus IMG Academy. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was one of the only ones that flipped around on Sunday night and caught on ESPN this this high school game. And I'm always curious about IMG Academy and looking at high schools. And I just watched for a little while and I said, you know, IMG Academy is sharp. This Bishop Sycamore, I never heard of them. And I see why. They were they were terrible. Or or as Charles would say, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was really, really something. And then, you know, after the fact, even even during the game, the announcer starts saying, you know, basically, who is Bishop Sycamore? So, you know, we come to find out after the game, 
uh, as as important USA USA Today and and other other reporters on this find out that this this whole Bishop Sycamore thing is it's a it's a creation. It's it, it's a it's a high school uh, in quotes in Ohio that it's difficult to find the true academic academic affiliation. And it's really even hard to find out where the football home is. They're playing in kind of transient facilities. Um, there are, and again, I, I did not personally investigate this, but there are strong allegations against the, the coach. Um, and having done this before with a, a school called Christians of Faith Academy uh, and a lot of similar activity that, you know, the, 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 the presentation for this school is we're trying to do these great things and train young men. And there's even a framework for it, Scott, that, that you and I know that, you know, maybe there's a thought by this coach and the organizers that we can have the same kind of academy for football like IMG has created as has happened successfully to some extent in basketball. Mm-hmm. But but you and I know that's a difficult business model, and IMG Academy is is, is unique in that way. And I know you didn't, you know, again, you might you might have caught a high school soccer game and got stuck on it. I know you didn't pay that much attention to it. But what what about this whole concept of this business of these elite academies, and you know this this being the, the most negative aspect that you have, they end up losing fifty eight to zip. Uh, and fortunately, we think nobody got too seriously hurt. But those are the two two issues you worry about: is is kids getting hurt, both mentally and physically, yeah. uh, and, and, and uh, with the, with this kind of kind of beatdown. So it's a really interesting question, and we we've looked at this in a, in a broad fashion over time, and figuring out where this all fits in in the context of of youth sports and high school sports, and into the uh, the larger. Uh, intercollegiate sport ecosystem as well. Uh, and, you know, it, it, these kinds of scenarios, the, the, you know, Bishop Sycamores of the world um, create a, a big dilemma. Um, and I think the, the poster child for all of this and the ones that are getting the most right, if you believe in this model, right, seems to be IMG Academy. Right from the outside, uh, they're the ones who seem to be getting it the most right. Now, one can take issue with many different things with the model itself and how they go about, um, you know, about handling this and, you know, uh, and all of those things. It's been a good business for, for IMG uh, over the years. Obviously, they're still doing it. Um, and there's a lot of scholarship athletes there, but there's a lot more kids. And my sense is there's a lot more kids who are paying full freight. Right. Who are you know, there is a, uh, a, a heavy tuition element associated who, who with that. Someone you could argue shouldn't be there. I mean, should be at their local high school. Oh, uh, uh, we, we, we have that in our town. Can we have that in our town where, you know, you got kids who um, are they're good. Right. They're good high school players. Um, but are they at the level that one necessarily perceives to be? Um, to be associated with and playing at, a, at a, an IMG Academy kind of place. Um, and the general consensus is, nah, they're just good, right? But for whatever reason, um, you know, parents wanting the kid to pursue their dreams, whatever it might be. Um, and look, most of those kids probably will go on to play college sports. Um, but 
you know, the, the challenge around it is a real one. And then it opens the door for all sorts of uh, nefarious activities around youth sports and trying to make a business out of this. Um, and so in a way, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. And that's what they're doing with IMG Academy um, in imitating them, um, but executing it in a real way where there's real academics associated with it, not losing sight of the ball, the big picture of what we're after here, what we should be after here um, is, is challenging. Yeah. And, and, and the, we got to throw into this conversation, I bring them up all the time now as a, as an advisor, because it is, is part of this big experiment, overtime elite. Overtime elite, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that, that you know, conceivably is the basketball version. In, in, in I mean, IMG is, is more football, tennis, golf, that sort of thing. So overtime elite is conceivably the, the, bas- the basketball equivalent, which has been tried a lot. In a lot of, we know of a lot of academies in basketball that have not had the academic piece. So that will really be what separates overtime elite apart from getting paid. I mean, that's the, that's the real separator. The idea right. that the, these, these young men are, are getting paid. So it's going to, it's going to be an interesting space. This, this is a, uh, I don't think it's unfair to say this, this uh, Bishop Sycamore event is another black eye on this whole idea of, of youth sports. And, and, and the furthest way, as you were alluding to from what we want youth sports to be, it, it's a, such a difficult formula to say we want everybody to play and find a way to continue to play forever stay fit you know have like you know city clubs like in town clubs like in germany and elsewhere but we we can't seem to get there but to create these things so that you can play professionally and there's nothing else going on the the stories that go on with this that seem to be there wasn't a whole lot of education accompanying this attempted and clearly failed effort at elite football. I mean, this is, this is, this is bad. And then this story will continue to go forward. So, so I, this is, you asked me what, in terms of the business of, of sports, I've been watching it. If I, if I get to, to use sports, this one really, really jumps out with all the other things that are going on. Yeah, this is big red flags all over the place. You know, the challenge from the parent perspective is you hear these things about your kid and it can be great. And this is your ticket to the to the league. And you're kind of, you know, it, it, remember the music man, right? Harold Hill, right? <laughs> In a way, it's, it's like the music man, right? I mean, you know, right here in River City, right? I mean, it is... Uh, uh, it's one that you have to look at really carefully. Um, you know, and obviously the states are aware of this. They're, you know, if there's an educational component, there's a, obviously a part of a larger educational framework and certification and accreditation and all those things. But uh, this scares the heck out of you. And it goes back to, Ken, you know, it's interesting. And, and I'm curious if, you're, if, you, if you'd share your thoughts. So for our listeners who don't know, um, you know, Ken's family, you know, very athletic. And um, Ken's wife, Diane, was a professional tennis player, an NCAA champion tennis player while she was uh, at Stanford. And, uh, and uh, you know, a son, Sam, who was uh, a, an elite tennis player uh, and, and uh, you know, had a, a brief pro career as well. He played at Northwestern and a daughter, Teresa, who was on the squash team at, um, you know, at, uh, at Stanford. And so, you know, athletic family, you know, and, and Ken, I will, before you say it yourself, Ken will fully admit that he brings them down. Uh, and <laughs> he was himself as a football player at Stanford. Um, but you know where I'm going with this. There was a moment where you were looking at IMG for Sam. Well, yeah, you have to think about these things. Yeah, you have to. And, as a high school kid. You're right. And, and the most difficult 
part of the, even opportunities to move the whole family to Florida, you know, changing, leave Penn and, and go to, you know, University of Miami to, to be in an area, you know, a combination of, of issues, but that was certainly one part of it was thinking about this potential tennis career. The most difficult thing to do is to find an honest evaluator to tell you that, yes, this is, this is that kid that needs to, to do this. I mean, you know, fortunately we had in-house <laughs> Diane having played uh, was, was helpful, but we talked to a lot of people along the way and, and, and Sam, you know, you ask him now, you know, first year, second year law student at, at Penn, um, he'll look back and, and sometimes raise the issue. Now, if we'd only moved to Florida, so some somewhat jokingly, sometimes, sometimes seriously, but you, you just, you just never know. I mean, I, you know, I, to this day, think about if I had worked out a little bit harder, I mean, there's always this, this what if associated within, with an athletic career, um, you know, <laughs> with some of these guys today, what if I had gotten the vaccination? I mean, that's kind of, I know, kind of a, an issue that, that that's an outlier there too. So no, I, I I'm, I'm right there with you, Scott. It, it's a difficult family decision. I, I think in the end, and a lot of what we do at the Global Sport Institute, a lot of what you do at, the, at Columbia is, is to get everybody involved in sport to think about that, that post-sport journey. What is it that's going to happen when sport is done? How can you best prepare yourself to be as successful as you can be in, in your sport, but also to be ready for um, that death that occurs when, when your sports career ends? So no, no, great, great question. Yeah, no, and, and I remember at the time when you were going through this, I think the final thing was, as you thought about this, just to put a ball on this, it, was, it wasn't the right decision for your family, right? And I, I remember the, the key, it was just too disruptive. Well, disruptive for, you know, maybe for his life. Everything was going well for, right. for him and, and certainly for the family. And, you know, frankly, to, to really, you know, <laughs> It was all about money. I mean, you, you could if you could spend enough money locally, you could you could stay local, and, and you could do you could get a pretty good idea of, of how uh, how good things could be. You, you you'd have to pay coaches individually. You had to do a lot of stuff, a lot more travel. But you know, it was, it was a decision that we made that was the right one in in the end. Well, I would say that hindsight also has proven that out, right? Sam's done very well, and and how much better could he have done otherwise? Um, you know, is a question that you'll, you'll never know the answer to, but if you were to do it again, right. Hey, would you make the same decision? But if I had gone to the IMG Academy, <laughs> I'd be in the NFL today still. <laughs> yeah, probably. Right. I mean, probably you, you'd be blowing George Blanda out of the water uh, <laughs> in terms of career longevity. Right. All you have to do is learn how to long snap and that would have been it. If only, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, if only. So as we as we turn the page on Bishop Sycamore and uh, the whole youth system for now, uh, what else has caught your eye? Well, I, you know, a, a couple of, of quick hits. I mean, the, the U.S. Open is kind of interesting, um, both in terms of, of a, a big event coming back and in terms of the players that aren't playing. And I know you're a big U.S. Open guy. Have, have you been paying attention as this has gotten underway? Yeah, you know, I have been, and, and maybe not for the reasons that the USTA would like you to be paying attention for, right? Um, and we both work with the USTA, and, and they're great people, excellent organization. They do a really good job um, 
in putting the event together. Danny's Zoster is in his team uh, and monetizing it and Lou Share and his team, um, you know, and just really quality people top to bottom. With all of that said, it's been a struggle for them a bit this year, right? And I think a lot of that is to be expected. You know, you're hearing about, um, you know, on day one, really long lines because fans are confused um, and they showed up, you know, shockingly all at the same time, right, to try to attend this event. And they were, you know, and it was just a, a, a it, it just wasn't handled uh, the way that it normally is. Um, different vaccine vaccination stand, uh, standards now and uh, that were decided upon late in the game. And then on top of all of it, there's a bit of a lack of star power uh, in all of this um, because, you know, when Federer's not playing, Serena's not playing, um, you know, Venus isn't playing, uh, Nadal isn't playing, right? So it's more about who isn't there than who is there right now, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, always be some, I guess, Jack Sock or whatever is kind of, you know, the American that's, that's having a, a moment. He, you know, got a wild card. And I was, I was saying to Diane again last night if we were watching some, well, how the hell, why don't I get a wild card? How do you get a, how do you get a wild card? But, you know, it's kind of, you know, he's the American, kind of the, you know, one of the former hopes. And, he, and, he's, and he's doing well. So it, it's, you know, Novak is, is the guy this, you know, this, this couple of weeks and him winning the grand slam will be, uh, if he does so, and it look, everything looks like he will, will really make up for the absence, uh, as much as possible of, of people playing in this event. But, but, but you, you really highlight something for me. I, I have not been to a sporting event. Um, yeah, I have not been to a sporting event since the pandemic was announced, since the NBA told us we weren't playing anymore. Mm. And But what you said about the absence of, of labor, or the difficulty of getting labor into uh, even jobs at sporting events is very interesting about the kind of service that you receive. I mean, you're, you're an old Yankees, you know, former season ticket holder, and, you know, the guys that, that come and, you know, greatest ushers on the planet that, you know, clean the seats off for you and do all that sort of thing. You know, uh, for a lot of reasons, you think about the those those guys, and some are, are probably coming back and come back because that's what they do. But some of them are of an age like I just can't I can't return to this kind of location, and it's and it's not the kind of job that has traditionally been open to labor that might be available that, that might want to work. I mean, so so what? Uh, talk a little bit more about about that, and, and then and then let's get on to our our main topic for today. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So my first job, like first job job, right. Other than working at my parents' drugstore was as a uh, vendor at Veteran Stadium, right. Way back in the, you know, in the eighties and worked for Ogden Allied Entertainment, the, uh, the, the, the late great uh, concessions entity um, and would walk around in the stands. I was one of those people. Right. Uh, I was a hawker walking around uh, selling ice cream on Sunday afternoons and, and Cokes during the week. Right. And for me, it was a high school job. I was I was a high school kid, you know, just looking to uh, to have some fun and make some money. Um, and, you know, the, the watching four innings of baseball for free or three innings after you finish working. Right. Was the uh, was a big, a big attraction uh, for me and going to concerts and all that stuff. Um, but you, I kind of really learned the, 
you know, the mechanics and the logistics of putting on an event uh, and how heavily the organization relies on minimum wage workers, and in that case, really commission-based workers in my case, um, you know, it was 10% commission, right? Um, and so, you know, you eat what you kill um, kind of thing. And it was, while it was a great job, without all of those, you know, similarly situated people and not just concessions folks, right? Because the, the hawkers right now don't exist because of COVID. Most stadiums uh, don't have people walking around, um, but then there's people wor working, you know, at the stands. Um, and then you've also got ushers and you've got security um, and all the folks that are involved, part-time staff, seasonal staff to make a game happen, right? Behind the scenes. And those folks, it is a big part of their, historically, it's been a big part of their lives economically. It's been a big part of their lives socially. There's a lot of repeat people, um, you know, and people have been there for years, especially on the vendor side of the equation. Um, but right now, like a good part of the rest of, of American society in particular, um, you know, minimum wage workers, especially in the hospitality industry, which is this is considered a part of, um, are very, very hard to find. So what we're seeing at games is extraordinarily long lines that fans aren't used to. Now, let's let's take the, you know, look waiting a little longer for your food, right? Uh, that the hot dog line is much longer than it usually is or uh, that the security line is a bit longer than it usually is. You know, are, are those the biggest problems in the world? No, of course not. Right. But in the sports industry, um, those are things that really, you know, matter to us. And so you know, the lines are longer for everything that, you know, there's maybe a more limited menu um, in, in a lot of different scenarios. Um, and at the U.S. Open, where you rely on, there's a, a number of international uh, workers as well uh, on temporary visas. That's certainly been thrown out of whack. Um, and so there's just a lot of kind of behind the scenes pieces to it that really isn't the fault of the industry. But I think that fans are recognizing if you look closely enough or you experience it, there's a reason for it, right? Uh, there's a reason why the lines are longer. Um, you know, there's a reason why uh, you may not be able to have every food item uh, available to you when you when you go to the games. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's something to watch. It's another, you know, another uh, impact of the, the pandemic that, that's really coming to light. And we'll, we'll see how that comes back. I mean, a lot of this is is people going back to jobs, and will people uh, will people go back to that job, or are they found something else in the interim? You know, all, all those questions, and we're seeing it as people come back to people come back to the sports facilities, but workers haven't necessarily come back. Right. So the 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 attempt is to incentivize workers with higher minimum wage salaries or not minimum wage, but higher salaries. So we're hearing about, you know, folks who are typically minimum wage workers making $20, $25 an hour, right, um, to come back. And even that hasn't necessarily been uh, been as successful. And then the other piece is that most organizations, certainly the forward-thinking organizations, spend a lot of time training and orienting and everything else with everyone. Because think about it, like you're the, you know, that's as a customer who you're primarily interacting with, yeah. right, during, during the games. Um, and so you may not have the opportunity to do that. Um, if, if so, it could be certainly a truncated experience. You're not getting like the Disney training that people... Uh, uh, we'll go through. Um, so it's been uh, logistically uh, and operationally very challenging 
um, you know, for, for the organizations. And we'll, we'll see if it changes going forward. I think it's more of a slow climb um, than anything else. Uh, we're seeing more organizations pivot to, um, to self-service kiosks uh, as part of the equation too, to try to make it more tech-based, which I think is um, certainly something we will continue to see more of going forward, uh, kind of the grab and go uh, scenario. Uh, but it is, uh, it's been a challenge. There's, there's no doubt about it. So Scott, let, let's get to the, the, the main topic. And you, you and I were talking a little bit before about this and it really does pull together a lot of, a lot of different things and definitely want to hear your, your thoughts and maybe we can, we can uh, solve some issues out here for the, for the world. So it starts off with Urban Meyer uh, making a statement uh, about a player being cut, or a couple of players being cut that uh, in terms of vaccinations and whether or not the unvaccinated status of a player is a consideration or not, he said it was certainly a consideration of not solely, but, but certainly a consideration. And the Players Association uh, immediately requested, began an investigation on it. I mean, and this happens in the you know, same time period as we have uh, uh, a release of Cam Newton by the New England Patriots, not directly stated that it was related to his reported un- unvaccinated status. Um, and then there's a, a kind of a sidebar with some other players, including Carson Wentz, who is kind of hard to read through the lines on, on what a lot of these guys are saying, who appears to not be vaccinated. And they're speaking a lot about it, it's an independent choice and sort of all those kinds of issues related to it. So in the business of sports, especially now the business of football, what are we to make of vaccination status and how this plays in? What are players associations supposed to be doing? What is it the teams should be doing with this? And what is it, you know, how would you advise athletes? There, there, there's three small questions for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Um, no, nothing weighty there uh, or anything, right? So I, I think that you start with that this is clearly a, a larger societal question, right? And the sports industry is part of that. You know, here in the case of the athletes, not the employee, team employees, not management, but the athlete side, they're obviously represented by, uh, you know, by fairly strong, I would say, conservatively, um, uh, players associations, right? They have union representation. So this all has to be collectively bargained. Um, the leagues have all said, hey, we're really clamping down. And it's interesting because the players associations have it's funny. Most of the players actually agree with it. I, I think, um, but you can't just agree to agree. Right. So agree with that there should be standards in place. Right. And there should be, you know, that, um, you know, I think if you got the folks who run a union alone, um, you know, and they were an off record conversation and say, yeah, of course we want all of our athletes to be vaccinated, but we can't force them to. Right. 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 I think that's where, where it ends up. Right. The, 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 there's, um, and again, to, to not, you know, I, to not, you know, my cards are turned up already, but I act like I'm not going to turn them up. Um, it, the idea that the players don't want to be vaccinated or anybody doesn't want to be vaccinated is, is, is a tough one for me personally to, 
to get my arms around. I understand about, about individual rights. I can understand about health or religious reasons. But beyond that, it, it gets very difficult for me to, to understand. And as a professional athlete where you, you the idea that, that you could uh, prevent your team from being successful, not necessarily because you spread the virus, but because there are rules in place that say that somebody comes in contact with you and, and you are positive that they've got to sit out some time too, but that the specific rules are um, you know, different across leagues and the like. So, so it's, it's, it's very difficult for me to get my arms around that. But as you set forth, the, the union represents all of the players and not all the players are down with vaccination, even if, the, if a majority of them are, because it, it hasn't been collectively bargained. They haven't voted on this. So the union's in a position trying to represent everybody. So when Urban Meyer says that it was a consideration the union is saying, okay, I've got members that don't want that to be a consideration. So I've got to launch an investigation. So I think within the team management and at the league level, so now we're on management side, they would love for there to be a grievance filed by the union over this. I think there is a deep-seated belief among management that they would win that grievance, that you can take a player's vaccination status one way or the other into consideration when making the roster decision. Right. And I think it's under... The the sole consideration versus, you know, amongst other, you know, playing ability and sort of all, all this... Too. There seems to be a little bit of distinction they, they keep trying to make. Sure, but can look, they can they can say anything, right? I mean, what we've seen from grievance in, over time is that courts don't like to play the role of, of coach and Monday morning quarterback or GM in the decision, right? What they're looking for in in, in this case, um, you know, you go way back to those uh uh, to the to McCollum and those in those Seahawks cases and Roger Carr, right? Is is there anti-union animus associated with with the decision uh, to release the player? So, um, you know, are you doing it just because you're you're trying to pick a fight kind of thing? Um, you know, but look, it's very easy um, to couch a player's release in any number of different. Terms. So, um, you know, but what the, the idea is that it, can vaccination status be one of those things? And basically, the, the teams could then use that as a threat uh, to players, certainly on the margins, that hey, if you're not vaccinated, you will be cut. Right? That would be the implication uh, of of a grievance won by management. Uh, and management, I think, is really confident that they are going to that they would win that kind of a of a hearing. Um, based on the player's contractual language uh, in the individual standard player contract, uh, basically around like conduct detrimental um, to, to the team, right. um, you know, because you, again, not because you might get sick, but you can get other people around you sick. And because we can't do certain things because the way that the rules are set up, there's different protocols in place in terms of who you can eat lunch with, who you can't eat lunch with, uh, what you can do in the building, uh, those sorts of things. And, and the, the language, you know, it's interesting, too. What, what all this is propelling teams to do, and this, is, this gets to Cam Newton, it's almost like employment discrimination law. You can fire someone, unless there's a contract stating otherwise, 
for any reason or no reason at all, so long as it's not an illegal reason. So, so here you can release a player or for any reason, provided it doesn't violate the collective bargaining agreement. Um, and, and then the phrase the, employment at will. Yeah, and, well then, and then you have this, this, friend, this fringe thing of, well, we're not sure where this rights issue falls. So we're not gonna say we cut somebody because they weren't vaccinated. Even though, as you said, they'll probably win, but it has not been litigated, mediated, arbitrated, whatever, whatever it ends up being in this kind of instance. What, what do you, what, we don't know. And, and, um, but from a business standpoint, what do you think is going on with, with Cam Newton? He's, his contract, I think, was only three, only, we're, again, we're speaking in sports terms, three and a half million for this, for this year, two million guaranteed. So he walks away with two million and, and some change, probably. And they, they released him and announced you know, Mac, Mac Jones is, is the starting quarterback. In, in this context, you know, Cam had some uh, COVID protocol issues and reportedly un, unvaccinated. What, how do you think this fits in with our, with our discussion? So it's a great question. And, and obviously, neither one of us were in the room. Uh, we don't know what the conversation was. So it's speculation, right? And you can hypothesize, um, uh, you know, all that we want about this. But I have a little bit different way of thinking about this, right? So one is that just as a general part, so was he cut because of his vaccination status, right? And combine that with the fact that Mac Jones beat him out for the job and you're like, you know, we don't need this. We want to send a message to all of our other players, um, get vaccinated or else, right? If we're willing to cut Cam Newton, we'll cut you too, right? If you're on the, if you're, especially if you're on the margins of of the starting lineup, um, and we move on, right? It kind of next man up mentality um, and do as we say, um, uh, or else. The other approach could be, was there some sort of an agreement? Now, forget vaccination status. The vaccination was not part of this equation. Um, that uh, for, in, in terms of the equation, the decision to release Newton, um, was there a, an agreement made with the player and player's representation to say, hey, look, um, we're gonna we're gonna draft a quarterback, right? If he beats you out, we'll release you. Okay, we'll we will do you the solid, if you will, okay. right. of allowing you to get a job elsewhere where you can start. Right. Right. Um, and so why would a team ever do that? Teams do that. Now, I don't know whether that happened here, but teams do that because it's a way, especially with a, a veteran player who's a leader in the locker room um, of, you know, kind of gaining the respect of the room. Right. Um, gaining the respect of, in other words, of the players on the team to say, hey, they're going to look after us and take care of us. Um, in that way, in, in that way. Now, did that happen with the Patriots and Cam? We have no idea. We don't know, but but it, but it, from a business standpoint, it's a two, a two million dollar in insurance policy that if if Mac doesn't work out, if we don't find somebody else, we've got this guy, and we, we know we know what he's capable of. And it may not even be cost you two million because I believe that Newton has an offset in his contract, where if he gets employed by someone else, right. Yeah. And 
they, the, pa- they, the Patriots should be off the hook for the difference, right? Yeah. But, you know, legal cases about that that too. But, but no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, we we don't know. Shame on us for not doing our complete homework before the show and, and <laughs> getting a, a look at the contract to know exactly what's going on. Yeah, but it may be much less than than the two million that that, that seems to be sitting out there. So. Yeah. Your advice to, to players. I mean, what, what kind of leverage do you have at all? If, you, if you're a player out there, kind of in, in, in closing, <laughs> if you're a player, out, I think you give management good guidance. Just uh, you, you'll probably win some management. You'll probably win uh, any kind of action that's brought against you or if you bring an action uh, that you can mandate vaccinations or you can have yeah. these in place. What, what advice do you give the, to players that yeah, that are are struggling with making the decision on whether or not to be vaccinated from a from a pure business standpoint. Yeah. So back up for first of all, management believes that very firmly that they are going to win. Okay, right. if there's agreements, um, that then gives them leverage in dealing with the players um, and essentially mandating they get vaccinated or or else. Right. But you have to be careful about that statement. Get vaccinated or else if you're the team. Because what if it's a great player and they say, I'm not getting vaccinated. And if you, you either then are in a position where you have to release them or you lose credibility, right? So that can back a statement like that can backfire on you very quickly. Of course, um, from the player's perspective, um, you know, look, I mean, I, I agree with you on the, you know, in the, in your earlier statement around vaccination. Um, if I am on, the margins and my team tells me, and I know I'm on the margins, right? So I'm a fringe starter or I am a backup, right? Let's leave it. Let's, let's call it that. Um, and my position coach, my head coach, right? The GM, whoever's going to be the quote bad guy unquote in all of this comes to me and says, you need to get vaccinated or we're going to release you. Right. Um, put the medical part aside. Right, which is very hard to do, but you know, and what science says. Um, but at that point, I think about the concept of the reservation wage, Ken, right? And that economic concept of, you know, what am I going to do? What is the salary I am going to make in my next best employment scenario? Is, right? is the regional director of Home Depot or something like that. Whatever it might be. NFL right? Whatever it might be. Am I going to set my dreams aside or am I going to roll the dice, right? And say, there's going to be another team. I'll say, I'm not getting this done, right? I don't care. And I'll roll the dice. Somebody else will pick me up. Right. Right. Um, that's a, you know, that's a, a, a pretty weighty decision when you're talking about the salary levels and the delta between the athlete's salary and the salary in their next best employment opportunity, right. which for most athletes is a really big goal. And, and we're, we're seeing it to some, again, it, not, the, not the perfect model. He's a unique athlete, 11-year veteran, Cam Newton. We're sort of seeing it now. We're, we're, we'll see what happens uh, as of this recording if he has not been signed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if this was his, his last stop and, if on the way you pose the question, if on this last stop he did this this kind of evaluation, you know, or again, if the vaccination really came that strongly into play, 
Um, could that have changed things? And if, think about this too, as, as the way you, you frame it, does anybody, would anybody be more likely to pick him up if he were vaccinated as opposed to, to not being vaccinated? It's, it's a great question. And now if um, Newton, right, and there is the offset uh, in the contract, then I'm not going to work for the same salary, right? I can sit on my rear end and, and, and make that money right now, right? That gar- the guaranteed part of the contract. Well, that's you so, and me. <laughs> right, yeah, well, um, but I think that's a, a lot of human nature. Why would I work when, when I'm getting paid, right? Um, anyway, so to me, it's if I am him, I am sitting back right now. NFL season, you know, is, is you know, starting imminently. I'll wait a couple of weeks. I will stay in shape, right? And I'm waiting to see what opportunities might be created to come in as a starting quarterback. Basically, you're looking at, is a quarterback going to get, is someone going to get hurt, right? And I can come in and be better than the backup, right? Uh, and Cam Newton, let's, let's, call, let's call it what it is. Cam Newton is likely, it's still at this stage of, career, of his career, um, better than the vast majority of NFL backup quarterbacks. Now, let me pause one more moment because I know where you're headed with this, right? I think. Couldn't have we said the same thing about Colin Kaepernick? Yeah. And look what happened there. Yeah. No. Well, and then the other layer to to it, again, so much we don't know. Does, does Cam Newton want to be a backup? That, that's the other other piece of it, too. So we, yeah, anyway. we know of athletes. We know athletes who are like, you know what? I made a lot of money. Um, I, I'm not I'm not being a backup. I'm not going to carry clipboard. Uh, that's not who I am. It's not who my brand is. Right. Uh, what my brand is that I've built over time. And, and quite honestly, I, I don't need the money that badly. We should all be so lucky. All right. Well, let's, let's watch this one. So, so Scott, as we close out, uh, what are you looking at going forward? I am, I'm going to, you know, take one before you do. <laughs> I am watching the opening of, of college football and the combination of, of NIL and, and seeing if it comes in. This may not be the year where we really get a lot of it, you know, uh, where we get a lot of impact on it, but you know, that, that high school kid we were talking about coming from Texas going to Ohio State that apparently has, you know. 1.4 million, yeah. A $500,000 revenue this single year, four or so over three years. Pretty incredible. Uh, how's that going to impact the locker room is, is, is the question. So, so what, what, what else are you watching? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, put the fan stuff aside, right? And, and they're excited about uh, what does not look to be an entirely promising te- season for the two teams that I follow uh, very closely at the college level, University of Michigan, at the, at the uh, professional level, the Philadelphia Eagles, but we'll see. Uh, but excited as a fan for that. But on the business side, uh, I want to see what the uh, return to normal uh, put that in quotation marks too, is going to look like uh, on both ends, uh, on both sides of that equation. Um, very curious about NIL. Uh, I think as we all are, and we're following this, I was watching the, uh, uh, the Ohio State uh, Minnesota game um, and uh, on, on Fox, and there was 
a uh, uh, Dr. Pepper commercial, with the quarterback from Clemson in it, right? Which is a deal that we've spoken right. about. And, and a few of the folks who I was with were remarking, oh, this, this is crazy. You know, this is, that's the Clemson quarterback. Like, how is he doing this? Like, I don't get it. And kind of the long for the old days kind of thing, you know, where I'm playing like the, uh, the, the role of, no, 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 this is a good thing for the kids, you know, all of that and, and the things that we've spoken about. But I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, as well. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, to more conversations around it. Great. So as we wrap up for the day, Ken, unless you've got any closing thoughts, words of wisdom, I of course don't have those. (laughs) Uh, the other thing I'm fired up for, by the way, I'd be remiss without saying this. Um, we start classes this week. Uh, coming up. And I am really, really excited. We had our orientation at Columbia uh, for three days this past week, one day remotely and two days in person. Uh, Campus kind of coming back to life, uh, busting. We hope that it lasts. Uh, If it doesn't, we will pivot. Uh, But it was so good to be back in the classroom. We've got an incredible group of students who have come in from 16 different countries and uh, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, really just along every metric could not be more, uh, excited and, and, uh, really energized by spending time in the classroom with them. So if I'm looking at anything most closely on a day to day, right. It's that ladies and gentlemen, send your tuition checks, <laughs> Mr. Chips at Columbia University. Mr. Chip. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. No, but we are we are fired up and uh, looking forward to that. So, uh, for uh, for this episode uh, of the Sports Professors Podcast, this is Scott Rosser along with Ken Shropshire. See you next time. Take care. The Sports Professors Podcast is brought to you by Global Sport Matters in collaboration with Columbia University. For more news and to sign up for our newsletter from Global Sport Matters, go to globalsportmatters.com. And for more from the Columbia University Sport Management Program, go to sps.columbia.edu slash sports. This episode was produced by me, Kendall Jones, Manager of Events and Programs at the Global Sport Institute. And huge thanks to our sound designer and editor, Sam Esparza and Big U Music. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our Manager of Marketing and Communications is Crisal Valencia, Our digital communication specialist is Brendan Clean, and our marketing and event assistants are Natalie Skegan, Aiden Corrales, and Kate Nelson. Find more episodes by searching for the Global Sport Matters podcast, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Stay up to date with the Global Sport Matters team by following us on Twitter. We're at GlobalSportMTRS.